Good morning. Have you thought about what it's going to be like when you die? When you stand before Jesus the King in all of his glory, what is that going to be like? The song we just sang does a good job of helping to put us in that moment and in that perspective of no more night and no more pain and we're, we're united with Jesus. Barry has been taking us through the book of Revelation and the pictures of Jesus in Revelation are simultaneously beautiful and intimidating. And Jesus is seen as powerful but also otherworldly. There was a song that was really popular probably 25 years ago called I Can Only Imagine. And that song does a really good job of capturing the possibilities of how one might react when they're in this specific moment, when they're standing before Jesus. What would you do if it's you? Would you fall to your knees in awe? Would you, as the song describes, dance for Jesus in celebration and joy and you're so excited? Would you want to run up and give him a bear hug? Would you even be able to speak at all? It's easy to think about all of these things as possible reactions being realistic when you're in this moment and you're meeting your Savior your ultimate friend, your redeemer, your shepherd, your protector, when you're meeting God face to face at the end of your life, you might react in all of these ways at once. So in that moment that you've been waiting your whole life for, when you've come to church countless times and sat on a pew and sung emotional hymns and opened your Bible so many times that the pages are stained and you've been waiting for this moment and you meet Jesus and he turns to look at you and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. If you're in that situation, you have to react as like, what? <laughs> this can't be right. There has to be a mistake. Like, you have to have me maybe mixed up with somebody else, Jesus. There's a lot of other Drews. Surely you've got the wrong person. I knew you. I know you. I spent my life as a Christian. Didn't you see me at Woodland Hills? Didn't you see me opening my Bible? How can this be? That scene is terrifying. It almost doesn't seem possible that that could be a real option. That you could spend your whole life thinking you're aligned with Jesus, and then when you meet him, he says, depart from me. How is that possible? But that's exactly what Jesus describes at the scene in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Go ahead and turn in your Bibles over there to Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then he goes on in this section and talks about these people who built houses. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, Brian read that for us. We read it again because it's really important for us to sit with this passage. Did you catch the important distinction, particularly in that second section? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. And even if you do hear these words of mine and act on them, but you do it with the wrong motives and the wrong intentions, that's also foolish. Specifically, it's so foolish, it's like building your house on the beach with a sandy foundation and expecting that to be sturdy when the storms come. So it's pretty clear that hearing the word only is not enough. Being exposed to the teachings of Jesus or the larger truths of Scripture or even just being immersed in cultural Christianity, Nashville, Tennessee, like, that's not enough and that's not going to cut it. This is the third and final lesson in our series on what are you going to do with God's Word in 2024. We started in our first lesson and we talked about King Josiah and how his discovery of the law is what led to revival in his life, it led to revival in the people's life, and how that same truth of God's word is the secret to revival in our lives. The second lesson we talked about was because of that, it's imperative that we meditate on God's word. We deeply put it into our hearts and before our eyes and in our minds and that when we do that, that's going to transform us and change us. But if that's all we do, and if we stop there, even though God's word is powerful, and it's the source of revival, and even though we meditate on it, if we don't take the next step, we're being foolish. So what we're going to look at now is how we then um, complete the final step by being doers of the word and not just hearers. It's important for us maybe to go back and examine uh, that passage a little bit more closely and 
the Lord, Lord, not everyone uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven who says that to me. Because if we're being honest, these people actually did do some things, right? It says specifically that they did some pretty impressive things that if they were on maybe our spiritual resumes, like we might feel that that's an indication of us having great faith or potentially that God even approves of what we're doing. If you're casting out demons and doing mighty works, if you're prophesying, you might think that, okay, like God is supporting me or at the very least, like I've got a lot of faith, right? So then how do we reconcile the fact that they were doing some of these things with what Jesus says to them? The larger context of the Sermon on the Mount gives us maybe like some extra intel into this message from Jesus. The Pharisees and the religious leaders in the Sermon on the Mount get absolutely smoked. Like they get taken to task because they were doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. They're praying long prayers, but it's not because they have a lot of things to say to God. It's because they want other people to hear them saying long prayers to God and think that they're extra righteous. They're giving to the needy, not because the needy are actually needy, but because they want to be seen as extra generous. They're fasting, but not because they want to commune more closely to God, but because they want other people to view them as extra, extra righteous. So when we consider the fact that the religious leaders of the day were doing things in that way where they were doing some of the right things or doing things that looked spiritual, but maybe their motivations weren't in the right place, that's how we can color what Jesus says of, yeah, all those things that you said you were doing for God, well, actually, they were lawlessness because you were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Or in other words, you weren't actually doing the right things in the first place. But we have to examine this a little bit more closely. Do you think it's possible that the Pharisees were completely aware of their own motives and intentions? Like, do you think that they were fully transparent with the idea that the only reason that I'm doing things is because of the admiration and the attention and the affection of the people? Or do you think that it's maybe more possible that they had convinced themselves that what they were doing was actually for God? And if I get a little kickback of praise because of my devotion to the kingdom, then, yeah, so be it, right? I don't know too many people who would chase clout or what other people think of them so much that they would throw away their integrity and blatantly walk in hypocrisy and say, I don't care what I think about me, I only care what other people think about me, so I just want to live in this way that impresses other people. I don't know that that's what the Pharisees were actually doing. I think it's a much larger group of Pharisees or it's a much larger group of people who can sneakily convince themselves that what God wants 
is actually what I want. That I deserve a little kickback of praise for my work in the kingdom. And that the best way to serve God is through my own success and pursuits. The mistake that the religious leaders made is that they conflated looking and sounding and teaching spiritual things as just as important, if not more important, than actually living spiritually. I've got a hunch that's a much larger group of people. If you turn over to James chapter 1, we'll pass the ball back and forth between Matthew and James. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is a super helpful metaphor. And you've got to love the Holy Spirit putting things into a way that we can understand. And like, that's maybe even potentially a little bit funny. Have you ever had a piece of spinach stuck in between your teeth? I had braces twice, and so that's happened more times than I can possibly count. It would be so ridiculous if you went to the bathroom, you looked in the mirror, and you notice you've got some green junk right in between your chompers, and you look at it, and you see it, and then you walk away and you do nothing. Worse, you even forget that it's there. Like, how is that even possible? I don't think a single human is capable of doing that. But that's exactly what looking at God's Word and meditating on it and seeing it clearly in the mirror of Scripture and then looking at your life and not making any changes and walking away is like. But James doesn't just stop there. There's this concept of deceiving yourself. So what that means is imagine you walk into the bathroom mirror and you see the spinach and you look at it and then you walk out and you say, not only have I just forgotten about this, but I've actually done something about it and I look good. Like, there's no way in which that's possible. But that concept of deceiving ourselves is what happens when we hear the word of God and we don't actually do it. So along those lines of deceiving yourselves, pop back to Matthew Matthew chapter 7. There's some similarities in these examples of the man who is a wise man and the one who's foolish. Both of them hear the word of God. Everyone who hears these words of mine applies to both. And both people build houses. 
It's implied that both of them are building houses that they apparently think are being sturdy. Like, we don't think that the guy who's building his house on the sand is intentionally sabotaging his house. He thinks he's building it sturdily. And the apparent sturdiness of that house or of that life is based on hearing the words of Jesus. So then what's the difference? If both people build their houses or build their lives on the teachings of Jesus, what's the difference? Well, the one who does uh, hear the word and live it and does it, that's the one who actually has a sturdy foundation for their life. The same house or maybe the same values or the same blueprint is being built, but there's actual sturdiness when you live the teachings of Jesus because that's what true faith really is, is living, not just hearing. So it's one thing to have faith in something as a concept, and it's another thing to have faith that leads you, because of your convictions, to then take action. So if you were to imagine that there's a bridge over a canyon that has 70 feet below it and there's a rushing river and rocks at the bottom, it's one thing to say, I believe that that bridge will hold somebody who walks across it. But it's another thing entirely to look at the canyon and the bridge going over it and the river and the rocks and to say, I believe that that bridge is going to hold somebody and so as a result, I'm going to walk across that bridge. Like there's a big difference between saying you believe something and believing something so much that you then follow through with those actions. We'll come back to that point. But when we think about um, the one who's building his house on the sand, do you think that the guy who's building his house on the sand knows he's building his house on the sand? He thinks he's building his life and his house on the teachings of Jesus. He thinks it's going to be sturdy because he misunderstands what he's building his life on or maybe more specifically how he's building his life. He thinks his house or his life will be sturdy because he thinks his faith is sturdy because he's familiar with or he's heard of the teachings of Jesus. But what this example shows us very plainly is that it's really different to hear of the teachings of Jesus than to hear of the teachings of Jesus and to do them. So just being familiar with God's word from listening to sermons or listening to podcasts or reading spiritual books versus hearing those things and then doing them results in a pretty different outcome through the lens of this story. And here's why. The wind and the rain, and the floods. I don't know if these guys are building their houses in like the Florida panhandle or in a tropical island where there's guaranteed to be storms, but we're building our lives and our spiritual houses in a world where there's guaranteed to be storms. But in those moments where you face trials and hard times like illness or financial hardship, or persecution for your faith, or you lose a loved one, or your spouse cheats on you, or insert any other 
trial. How does a house or how does a life that's built on just knowing about Jesus, how does that hold up? Jesus says that that's a house that's going to fall and great will be the fall of it. But the inverse is true, that the life and the house that's built on hearing the words and living them has an entirely different reaction to hard times. You face illness differently when you're living the teachings of Jesus because you understand that the great physician has already healed you of something much worse than your physical illness, and though he can heal you, even if he doesn't, there's a larger plan. You face financial hardships differently when you're living the teachings of Jesus and following through and saying, I'm not going to be anxious about my life because I've laid up treasures in heaven. You face grief differently when you're living the teachings of Jesus because we don't grieve like those who grieve without hope and we have access to invite Jesus into our laments. That is how there's a difference between a house that's built on the sand or knowing about Jesus is different than a house and a life that's built on the rock. When you live the teachings of Jesus, there's an inherent sturdiness, not because of the things that you can do, but because of the sturdiness of who and what you're built on. So maybe if we step back just conceptually, if we know it's possible to think that we're following Christ, but to deceive ourselves, if we know that hearing the word isn't just enough and we have to do it, how do we uh, practically make that happen? I was talking with Barry the other day, and he mentioned that if you reduce a lot of lessons and sermons down to maybe like their core points, you can get to a spot where it says, hey, you need to love God more, and you need to pray more, and you need to read more, and you need to try and sin less. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, that's, I knew that. That's like, that's not super helpful. That's a lot of the what, but that's not the how. So if we know that we're supposed to build our lives on not just hearing but doing, how do we actually make that happen? I think there's two key points to moving from being a hearer of the word to being a doer. If you turn with me to Psalm 139, Psalm 139 is written by David, and the general context is where he's talking about how God has known him since before he's created. How God has known all of David's actions, how God has known David when he gets up in the morning and when he lies down. He's known him closely. But David invites God in a more intimate sense into his life in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way 
or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David says to God, hey, I want you to try me, but it's not in a prideful or in an arrogant way of like, hey, look and see if you can find anything wrong because I know you can't. It's the exact opposite. David is coming to God with the utmost position of submission and of not my will, but your will be done. And specifically, David is asking God to perform spiritual heart surgery. He's saying, I want you to look at my life and to see if there's anywhere where I'm saying that I'm following you and I'm not actually following through. I want you to look at my life and see if there's a single thing that I'm holding on to that's wicked and I want you to cut it out. I want to live in the way everlasting. I don't just want to hear about your teachings. I want to be led in them. I want to commit to them. I want to make this what I'm all about. And so if there's anything that you can see in my life that's not that way, even if it's painful, even if there's complications, even if there's consequences from it, I want you to remove it from me. If we want to shine a light into our own hearts and our own lives to avoid deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're serving God, but we're really not, or we're doing it with the wrong motives, we have to be willing to be this introspective and this honest and this vulnerable, both with ourselves and with God. If we're not able to honestly evaluate and look in the accountability mirror at our own heart and say, am I really giving him everything I have? Then you're never going to be able to know if you've deceived yourself. But beyond that, after we've been able to genuinely reflect How do we then practically start being a doer? Where's a good place to start? Our last passage we'll look at this morning is in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So you see this like, entire concept of just not just being a hearer but being a doer is echoed here in 1 John. It's similar in the book of James. It's similar in Matthew. But whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So very practically speaking, if we want to move from being just a hearer of the word of someone who's familiar with Jesus to then being a doer of the word, we have to examine, well, what are the ways in which Jesus walked? And then how do I very practically go do those exact same things and walk in those exact same things? So when you see examples of Jesus befriending sinners and being a light, if, if we want to walk in how he walked, we have to do that. 
So ask yourself, how many friends do I have outside of this building who need Jesus? How can I intentionally put myself in a spot where I become friends with people who are in need of the gospel? Once I know these people, how do I then properly convey the same level of compassion and love and mercy and grace that Jesus showed to his friends while also exposing in truth and in light and in love the darkness in their lives? You see how that like, genuine self-reflection and introspection helps us then move into walking in those ways? We have to examine where are we doing those things But if we know we have to walk in the way in which he walked, one of the ways we do that is through being friends with people who need the gospel and finding ways to intentionally be a light. Another way that we can specifically walk in the way in which he walked is by caring for the marginalized. So Jesus made a habit of intentionally seeking out and interacting with people whose society had pushed to the side. Maybe they had physical disabilities, maybe the circumstances of their life or their actions had made them an outcast. Maybe they had a physical disease. Maybe they were homeless. But Jesus said, I want to take time to intentionally care for these people. So if we're going to walk in the same way in which he walked and be a doer and not just a hearer, we have to do the same things. We have to. So ask yourself, am I showing mercy and grace and compassion to those who are less fortunate than me? How can I intentionally put myself in a spot and in a rhythm to care for these people? What are some nonprofit organizations that I can work with in Nashville? Who are some other Christians in this room who would help me go and visit one of the orphanages near my house or one of the nine homeless shelters that's here in Nashville? We have to care for the marginalized and touch the lives and the people who are in need the same way that Jesus did if we want to walk in the same way that he walked. And then lastly, if we're going to walk in the same way that Jesus walked, it's imperative that we forgive others the way he forgave. So when Jesus is on the cross and he's dying and he says, forgive them, Well, if we want to walk in the way he walked, we have to forgive other people too. So ask yourself, who in your life needs your forgiveness? And what can you do to make that happen? And how can you go about that reconciliation in a way that points people to Christ and points people to the Father? There's a lot of other ways that we can talk about of what it means to walk in the way that Jesus walked. Those are some good, very practical ways that we can get started, is by forgiving other people, caring for the marginalized, and befriending people who are in darkness and being a light to them. If we can do those things while being genuinely introspective and honest like David was, that will help us avoid the trap of being deceived or of merely being comfortable
being exposed to the teachings of Jesus, but not actually following through and doing them. At the start of our lesson, we were talking about, like, what does it look like, or what does it mean to meet Jesus face-to-face? What is that going to be like? And while it is terrifying to consider the prospect that you could get there and he could say, depart from me, I never knew you, there's a way to fix that, and there's a way to make sure that he never says that to you. And that's by living a life that is of true faith. That's not just of, hey, I've heard about you and I've been exposed to you or I've done some of the things but for the wrong reasons, but it's saying I have committed my life to you so deeply and so fully that I realize it's not about myself, it's only about what you've given me. But as a result of that, like my entire life no longer belongs to me my time, the way I spend my money, every aspect of my life has to belong to you. And when we can have true faith and love Jesus the way he says when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we can really follow through with that, then we get to a spot where when we meet Jesus, he's not going to say to us, depart. He'll say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant because that's what he calls us to do, is to live lives that don't just say, hey, I believe, but I believe so much that my conviction calls me to act, and I can't do anything except act. That is something that I want to hear more than anything else at the end of my life at the start of the beginning of eternity is well done and how to do that. We're going to sing a song that talks about those specific words. Um, Think about what that's going to be like to meet Jesus and what you want to hear him say and then what you want to hear him say and then consider what you need to do in your life to make sure that you're living a life that isn't just of hearing but that's of doing. Let's stand and sing.